Welcome to Ottawa Valley Community Church, where we simply want to help you encounter Jesus, be transformed, and share His love. And I'm preaching today, I'm going to be talking about divine and the branches. And I've entitled my sermon this morning, No Pain, No Gain. And we know that without pain, there's no gain. What's the song used to say? There's pain in the offering. Amen. You know, when we present ourselves to the Lord as a living sacrifice, there is pain. So I'm reading from John chapter 15, verses 1 to 8. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. And he prunes the branches that do not bear fruit, that do bear fruit, so that they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in the vine. You guys sang this morning about abide in me. Remaining in the vine. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want, and it will be granted. And when you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to the Father. Um, it's amazing that I'm the one who gets picked to talk about, you know, being a gardener. And, you know, the fruit and the vine, because... Uh, I'm not so good with plants. You're not either. So either of us, we wouldn't be qualified to do an expert approach to this this morning. Have you ever broken a stem or some exceeding part of a flower accidentally? Have you ever done that? Well, there's no point in trying to glue it back together. Some things you can glue back together, but it's not going to work. And uh, it happened to me Last Saturday, not yesterday, the Saturday before. I actually was on a Friday night. Actually, it happened because I was downstairs sitting up the uh, TV with the Apple TV for my wife and two other ladies that were coming in that night. And uh, they were uh, going to be there on Saturday watching this uh, presentation uh, online. And I needed to set things up. And as I was attaching the cables... There was a flower, I think is uh, the one you, did you see it there a second ago, Ani? Did you see that quick flower on the screen? <clears throat> is it aloe vera? It is aloe vera. I, 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 that's but the only plant I know of the name now, beside a cactus. It was an aloe vera, and it was my wife's aloe vera. And, uh, you know, there are some nice stems on that plant, but you notice there's one mostly missing. It was, you know, I had to put a cable behind it, and, pardon? No, no, the, oh, you don't see the one that's missing. There was, uh, 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 
I just very nicely just pulled the plant up like that, the stem, and putting the cable behind, and there it was in my hands. And I couldn't glue it back on. I looked around to make sure my wasn't in the room. She wasn't there, so I quietly made my way out in the porch to a garbage can out there. It was a bit less chance she's going to see it, and I dropped it into the garbage can and quietly put it all back together. See, I'm not very good at plants. I could do a little bit of gardening, but like I'm no expert at any of these things. Uh, for example, I have an apple tree, and uh, I remember when I got, you know, the first season I got a few apples, and the next season, West was about two and a half, I got one apple. One apple on this apple tree, and West claimed it. So I gave it to him in September when it was ready to go. See, I'm not so good at that. As a matter of fact, I am so bad that my fake plants die because I forget to, uh, to water the pretend plants. That's how bad I am. Oh, I hope you got that. If I was to get a trophy for planting, it would be as follows. Will meaning plant color. That's him. That's me. That's where I am when it comes to plants. And I'm here to talk about spiritual side of being a good gardener this morning. How many seniors do I ever, 65 and over? Put your hand up. Come on, you're not ashamed to be a senior. I came across this. I thought that this was absolutely amazing. Would you like to see a, 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 a oh no, no, this is not it. I'm coming to you. Would you like, this is how good of a gardener I am, okay? Would you like to see a picture of me waiting for my apple tree? <laughs> that's it right there. If I plant it, that's what it's going to be. Now, for you seniors, uh, do you know that they've made special flower pots for us? Are you ready? So you see that I'm not a very good gardener, but I'm going to give you, talk about spiritually this morning, what Jesus has to say about us. So I may not be a good choice to speak on this topic, but this metaphor that we have saw here this morning about the vine and the branches. Jesus loved teaching with metaphors. You know what? I believe, I honestly believe this. I believe if Jesus was around today, he would have one of the best laptop, laptops around, and he would have a tablet like I got here, and he would want to, you to see what he's saying so that you would internalize it. Now, by the way, it wouldn't be an apple, okay? We know that, right? Yeah, you get that one. He would have the best laptop around. Jesus loved to use metaphors because he knew people would identify with it. In Jesus' I am statements, each time he is pointing to his deity, he's authenticating his position in the God. I am God in the flesh. He made it very clear. We're not dealing with some religious leader, but we're dealing with God himself. John 4 and 14 basically says, I am the water of life. When he met the woman at the well, he didn't use the I am there in, you know, in the context like the others I would give you in a moment. But I believe he said to her, look, I am what you're looking for. I am the water and life. 
In every person there is a void. If you're watching online this morning, if you're here this morning, we re recognize the fact that in every human being there is a void, a longing for something, a thirst that only God can fill. And we found it. Amen? We actually had yeah, the woman at the well found it that day. Without Jesus, we keep trying to fulfill that thirst. And that's what the woman at the well was doing. And you remember, or what, five husbands or something like that? She was continually trying to find love, and she didn't know that the true love she was looking for was found in the Messiah when he came that day, and he changed her life. Then in John chapter 6 and 35, he said, I am the bread of life. Again, thinking of that void, we are continually searching for something, but never totally satisfied. In John 8 and 12, he said, I am the light of the world. He, he, he's light in the darkness. He's the one who lights our way. He's the one who brings us hope amidst all the darkness around us. And then in John chapter 10 and verse 9, you notice all of these are in John's gospel. He said, I am the door. I am the door. Jesus makes it very clear here that there is only one door, and he is that door. And Pastor Aaron brought that up so well last week when he talked about I am the way. Jesus is the only way to heaven. And then in John chapter 14 and 6, he said, I am the way, as Pastor Aaron preached last week. Now, here we come to the night before his death, and he uses these words, I am the vine. I am the vine. We need to put this in context. It is the night before his crucifixion. And secondly, he is speaking not to the world, but he's speaking to the church. Actually, for the context here, he's speaking to his 11 disciples. That's the only ones that are there, and he's telling them, he's saying to them, I am the vine, I am, and you are the branches. He speaks to 11 of his disciples because the betrayer is no longer in the twelve. And he's speaking to us this morning as his followers. Though he spoke to the eleven that day, it's for every child of God in the kingdom of God. And he's speaking to us. And thirdly, he uses a metaphor. So we're going to look at this this morning for a few moments. The message, divine and the branches. In John 15 and 5, I read this morning, Jesus said, I am divine, you are the branches. Remember again, he's speaking to the 11, but what he speaks here is for all believers. For every one of us this morning, listen to it, the vine is the source of life for the branches. The branches can never be independent of the vine. Our life comes from Jesus. The branches must abide in the vine to live and bear fruit. 
The moment that I touched my wife's aloe vera and that big stem, a beautiful one came off, it was separated and it no longer would have life. It's rotted now, it's dead, it's dying. And it's like you and I, we must abide in the vine. And that word abide is the word mental, which means to stay in a given place, state, or relation, or expectancy, to stay. And the words given in the original Greek, and this is the definition for, and words that speak the same thing, and what it means is abide, it's the word continue. We must continue in the vine. We must dwell. We must endure. We must be present. We must remain. We must tarry in the vine. Not just on a Sunday morning, but every day and every hour and every moment. We must stay in the vine. I entitled, as I said, No Pain, No Gain. He's speaking back to the context to those within the kingdom. And it's very clear here that Jesus is addressing two totally different classes of spirituality. The true Christian versus the pretentious one. Those who are really not in the vine. He's speaking to the eleven but he's also aware of one who was pretentious, and that was Judas. When he's speaking here, he's thinking of his 11. He's also thinking of Judas, who really wasn't sincerely in the faith. So you look back to what Jesus said at the last Passover supper before his pending death, and the context in here is Jesus is washing his disciples' feet. And he comes to Peter. You know how Peter behaved. You know, Peter said, uh, you know, and he said it because he saw himself as so less compared to who Jesus was. And he said, you ain't washing my feet. It wasn't because he was paranoid about someone seeing or touching his feet. But he didn't feel good enough that Jesus should wash his feet, but I should wash yours. And uh, Jesus said to him, you are already clean. You've been washed completely, and you just need your feet to be cleansed, but that can't be said of all of you. That was a reference to Judas. You are clean. Can I say something this morning? When I came to Christ, when you came to Christ, you were clean. You never had to come to Christ again on another day. You came, you give your heart, you gave your life to Christ, but as you go out in this world, there are going to be times that you're going to fall into sin, into temptation, and this is where the washing of the feet metaphor kind of comes in here. You've been washed completely, you just need your feet to be cleansed. But that can't be said of all of you, for Jesus knew which one was about to betray him. And that's why he told them that not all of them were clean. But who? John 3, uh, 13, you go back a few verses to verse 2. We see who it was. Jesus knew this was going on. It was time for supper. And the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. So he already sees the one that's not ready for the kingdom. 
So back to John 15 and verse 3. I want to quote from the contemporary English version. It says, You are already clean because of what I have said to you. I could also put it this way. What I have done for you on the cross. I died for your sin. And the moment you came to Jesus, He cleansed us from all of our sin. Then we see here, that there are four classifications of personnel in this metaphor. And it's the vine, and that is Jesus. Then there is the gardener, and the gardener is none other than the Father himself, the heavenly Father. And then there is the fruit-bearing branches, and that is the 11 I have in my notes with a little plus to it, because it's 11 plus us this morning. Amen? We have been cleansed and all true followers of Christ. And then there is the fourth group, and that is the fruitless branches. And we see Judas and all who never were sincere about their faith. I have a caution here for you this morning. He's not talking about someone who sins and makes some mistakes. If so, we are all doomed. Amen? We're all doomed. I remember growing up in Newfoundland, and I remember in the church, this was a pattern that was there, is that, you know, someone came to Christ, they gave the heart to the Lord, and, you know, over a few weeks, they went out and they made a mistake and they sinned, and there were Christians who would say to them, ah, my son, you're lost now. You're backslidden. Yeah, yeah, you're backslidden now. You're not saved anymore. People would tell them that. That is not true. If I make a mistake, isn't it awesome that we have an awesome heavenly Father who will embrace us and take us back? So, uh, 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 so he's talking about those who were not committed to him. In, uh, uh, and by the way, I have the best lawyer on planet Earth. Well, actually, he's in heaven <laughs> but he was on planet earth. I have a lawyer like no other lawyer. First John 2 and 1 said, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. How many of you, if you were honest this morning that you blew it at some point this week and you know, and you felt convicted in your spirit and you asked God to forgive you, but there are times when we do that, the devil comes and he beats us. He beats us up with these words. Ah, yes, too much for God. God ain't going to forgive you anymore. You aren't worth it, and on and on, and we beat ourselves. But my Bible tells me that we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. And so uh, when I sin and I ask God to forgive me, my lawyer goes before the throne of God and he comes to God and my case is laid out and my lawyer steps up and he says, listen, I know that he did that this, this week, but can I tell you something? He's already covered by my blood and that settles the case, amen? The case is thrown out. The devil, you know, the devil is the accuser of the brethren. So if he brings you and I before God because we blew it, I'm so glad that I got a lawyer, the best defense lawyer you could ever have, and he comes and he stands before the throne and he says he's covered by the blood. So if you made a mistake this week and someone said you're unfit for the kingdom, that is not true this morning. You have already been forgiven. So he's talking about those who were uh, that were actually never committed to him. 
They can be in the church. They can have great knowledge of Scripture, but have never grasped its relevance. I've met people like that. They're in it for what they can get out of it, for self-gratification. Even some I don't understand. They are never a true follower of Christ. So how did Jesus distinguish between the sincere followers and the pretentious? You see, uh, I'd really love to know how to figure this out. It's very simple this morning, even though we're not called to judge people. God does the judging. Matthew 7, 15 to 16 says, Beware of false prophets. You will know them by their fruit. If they are sinful, they will not produce the fruit of the Spirit. You will know them by their fruits. So we're back to fruit-bearing again. In Matthew 7, 21 to 23, let me read this to you. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the, kingdom, the realm of heaven, kingdom. It is only those who persist, persist in doing the will of my Father. As Pastor Aaron said this morning, those who walk in obedience. Amen? I'm not talking about, you know, perfection. You do fall short of the glory. But those who determine to walk in obedience to God's Word. It is only those who persist in doing the will of the the Heavenly Father. On the day of judgment, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, don't you remember us? Didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons and do all kinds of miracles for the sake of your name? But listen to what Jesus says to them. I'm talking about individuals who really are not sincerely following Christ. And by the way, this is Sunday, and there are many across our nation that are in church, and they're going through the works. You know, they're going through all the, the, the motions of, you know, trying to look good for God. But it says there, but I will say to them, go away from me, you lawless rebels. I've never, these are individuals who've never really repented, all right? I've never been joined to you. So as we think of all that this morning, I have five takeaways that I want to give to you. First of all, Jesus is in this uh, story that he's giving us, Jesus is the vine. John 15 and 1, I am the true grapevine. So Jesus is the vine. Secondly, the Father is the gardener, the heavenly Father, not me, right? Not me, but the heavenly Father. And he got a garden better than any garden you can ever dream of. The Father is, it says here in verse 1 again, the, my Father is the gardener. We are the, uh, he is the vine, he, uh, then there's the gardener, and then we are the branches. You look like branches this morning. Amen? But beautiful ones. Okay? You are the branches. You and I, these are individuals that are serving Christ. Yes, I am the vine, but you are the branches. Another way to put it is you are my children. You're in my family. You're part of my tree, right? You know, the family, heavenly family tree. I'm in that tree. You're in that tree. We are the branches. 
And then the fruitless branches are removed. He prunes the branches that do not bear fruit, so they will produce... I'm sorry, I'm ahead of myself. He cuts away every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. This is Jesus talking. And he talks about the Father who is the gardener. He cuts away every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. And then in verse 6, if you don't stay joined to me, you will be thrown away. Wow. And then the fifth one, the fruitful branches are pruned. We don't get off without the pruning knife. All right? That's why I said a few moments ago, there's pain in the offering. Amen? If you want to serve God, if you want to lay yourself on the altar before Him, if you want to walk in obedience before Him, the gardener is going to work on us. He's going to do some pruning. He prunes the branches that do not bear fruit so they will produce even more. This is one thing in, with my apple tree. I haven't got a clue. I'd probably be cutting off the good branches and leaving the bad ones or, and whatever. I don't know. But he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. It's not my responsibility to do the pruning. Amen? It is he who will do the pruning because I will probably... And I, I've actually seen some people do some pruning on individuals who are new converts and actually drove them away from the kingdom. I remember when uh, someone in my wife's family who had never been to a Pentecostal church ever in her life, she did not know what it was to serve Christ, and there were evangelistic meetings going on. And uh, and one of her first cousin, my wife's first cousin's wife, not really wife, it was a live-in partner. They were living in a common-law relationship, and she came to church that night, and I remember, or I can see it so vivid now, she came to the altar, She gave her life to Christ, and she was leaving the building rather excited until she got in the foyer. And these so-called Christians came around her, and they were telling her what you can't do anymore. And one of them was, you can't go home and sleep with your husband. I want to let you know that. And then they told her, as a matter of fact, we're going to come tomorrow morning and see if you did. You think she came back to church? She never daunted the inside of the doors ever again. She was a new convert. Leave her to God. God will take care of what you know, needs to be done and not done. And over time, that person would mature. Where am I? In, in verse 5. And have you forgotten his encouraging words? Make sure I'm in the right place. Yes. Spoken to you as his children, he said, My child, don't underestimate the value of the discipline and training of the Lord God. Or get depressed when he corrects you. God works on us. That is the pruning knife. Don't get depressed. Don't, get, don't devalue it. Fully embrace God's correction as part of your training. God's favorite pruning knife is called the Word. Amen? He prunes us with the Word. Hebrews 4 and 12, it says, which is sharper than any double-edged sword. Are you, as you read God's Word, 
and I've done it and you've done it, all of a sudden He convicts us. We see something. That's why it's so important to get into the Word of God. Even as a young Christian, you see, that lady who these people thought that they should do the pruning, that's what they were doing. They were in the foyer saying, I'm going to take, God, give me the pruning shear for a few moments. I'm going to do a little bit of pruning here. But you know what needed to happen? That, that, that lady needed support, and she needed prayer, and you know what would have happened? As she got into the Word of God, God's Word eventually would you know, lead her to that place where she would understand how she needed to live. Let the Word convict. Amen? That's what makes all the difference. How many love someone giving you advice? How many of you men have ever said to your wife, I dare not do it myself? Are there any flaws in me? You ladies would have an A-Day, wouldn't you? Are there, you know, do you know anything about me that's not pleasant? No. You know, and vice versa, we don't do that. But the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. So as you read God's Word, He cuts away the bad so that it won't impede the good. Anytime he snips something off, he's snipping it off because he wants what's better for you. You will become a bitter person. You will become a stronger person when he snips away that which is unlike God. I love the way that one pastor put it. He said, trials. We don't like trials, right? Trials may simply be pruning shears in the hands of the divine. It is. There are times that God had to take me through some horrific things to get my attention. And he got them. So he said, trials might simply be pruning shears in the hands of the divine gardener. Tools he uses to cut away dead wood, fruitless branches, and sap-sucking shoots so that we might bear more fruit. He's still working on me. Is that what the song says? To make me all I want to be. He's working. He's still, that little kid's song, he's still working on us. By the way, the branch doesn't produce fruit. It bears the fruit. It's the vine that produces the fruit. You can take some branches off, but it's still producing. It comes from the, the vine is the source. Jesus is to be and as to be the source other fruit. Paul's final words to the church at Corinth is worthy of us today in light of all of this. 2 Corinthians 13 and 5. And this is a good thing about Lent. Lent in this season I talked about when I introduced Lent is a season where we uh, spend time in God's presence. We spend time in His Word. We spend time at the mirror of God's Word, and we look at the reflection, and we let God open our hearts. Remember that sword, the, the Word, is able to penetrate, you know, uh, beyond the outside and, and, you know, into the actual heart of the individual. Sometimes there are things that can be in our hearts that God says, you can't live like this in my kingdom, and he's going to do surgery on us, and he penetrates. So it's a time of reflection. It's a time to examine ourselves. Mm. So here in 2 Corinthians 13 and 5, Paul said to the church at Corinth, examine yourselves 
to see that your faith is genuine. Remember, Judas wasn't. The other 11 were. There are people sometimes in the kingdom that are not really genuine. To see, Paul said, that your faith is genuine. Test yourself. How many of you over the course of the last couple of years didn't have to go to a doctor to get tested? You had the little kit at home. You remember them? Test yourself. See if this is COVID or not. You know, you take that little thing out and it shows up with only one thing lighting up, you know, in, in that color. And you go, oh, it's not COVID. Unlike some of us sometimes, and you got the other way. Test yourself. Surely you know that Jesus Christ is among you. If not, you have failed the test of genuine faith. Anybody ever, ever failed a test in school? Come on now, ever failed at least one? It's horrific to fail the test. But God says there that we are to test ourselves. The voice translation puts that part this way. Check your faith. Are you really in the faith? He's talking to Christians here, folks. 2 Corinthians 13 and 5. I love the way that Peterson paraphrases this. He says, don't drift along taking everything for granted. Give yourself regular checkups. You need first and evidence, not mere hearsay, that Jesus Christ is in you. Test it out. So we have to test ourselves. We have to look into the mirror of God's Word. We have to examine ourselves. This scripture is a warning to test yourself during this Lent season as we spend time in front, as I said a moment ago, the mirror of God's Word. Do we line up with the qualifying factors that Jesus points out? Are we bearing the fruit of a Christian? Outside of our Sunday gatherings, are we a reflection of Christ? Or are we a reflection of the devil? You say, really? Listen to Galatians 5, verses 19 to 23 and verse 25. is an inventory of those who are and those who are not. This is the test right here. Check on this one here. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature... The results are very clear. This is the, uh, 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 the deeds of the flesh. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger. Oh! You ever got, you know, outburst of anger? You got a problem, man, if you, you know, if you lose it. You got a problem. Outburst of anger. Where am I? Selfish ambition. Well, I mean, okay, he started off with some pretty doozers, but he's putting in quarreling in there and jealousy. Ever been jealous? Yeah. Selfish ambition. Dissension that's, and divisions. And then he says envy and drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. These are the deeds of the flesh, opposite of the fruit of the Spirit. But then the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these. 
This is the fruit that Jesus talked about. This is the fruit that Scripture talks about, you know, how we measure if someone is in the kingdom or not. If there's absolutely no evidence of fruit and plenty of evidence of the other, we have to assume it's not so. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Peterson paraphrased verse 22 this way. What happens when we live God's way? He brings gifts into our lives much the same way that the fruit appears in an orchard. My apple tree. He brings gifts into our lives. When we live my way. When we live God's way. Amen? There is one key word in the scriptures we've been dealing with this morning, and it is that word, abiding. Abiding. Verse 7, but if you remain in me, for anything you want, and it will be granted. Whew. Now, this is the one that the prosperity gospel loves. They'll take it totally out of context. They will actually ignore the first part of the verse, which says, If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, now we're really grafted into the vine, you may ask for anything you want, and it will be granted. You see, the closer you get to God, the pruning process will make you more like God. The closer you get to God, your will begins to fade away and His will uh, uh, will, uh, comes into clear focus. Your desires fade away and His desire for you comes into clear focus. The closer you get to God, your fear fades as your focus on faith gets stronger and clearer until you are no longer do you see fear, but simply faith and your will willing to act on it. The closer you get to Him, the closer you get to God, the better also your earthly relationships. In other words, you are now in the will of God and you know what the will of God is. So therefore, if you ask anything, you're going to ask only one thing and that is that which lines up to the will of God. You already know it. You've been in Christ. You know what Christ wants for you. You know what Christ desires for you and you act on that. And if you ask in line with His will, absolutely anything and He'll give it to you. He really will. Relationships. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back. I said a moment ago, the closer you get to God, the better your earthly relationships. I read something about two weeks ago. Oh, actually, it was last week as I was doing this sermon. I read something, and I, you know, it, it, it was online, and I didn't bookmark it. And uh, my aging memory, I have no clue where I read it to. I searched. I even went back to my history on that day, and I followed everything that was in my history. I couldn't find it, so I can't tell you where I read it, but I thought it lined up so well with this, and it was so powerful. I read the other day about a couple, this is years ago, a couple uh, who were struggling in their marriage, went to see, and it was some famous preacher. I can't remember who it is. All right. They went to see this real, really, you know, to us now will be a famous preacher and we're surprised about his method of counseling. Listen to it. He took them through a study of the character of God. 
You did a Bible study with them. That's how we counsel them. Let's look at the character of God because God wants us to be like Him. And you see, uh, um, to their surprise, the more they study God's character, the more it began to show up in their lives, and the closer they got to God, and the closer they got to each other, and when the pastor was finished, they were so caught up in the character of God, and they allowed it to penetrate their lives that all the issues disappeared, and they were massively in love with each other. Now, you know, that's not probably something we would recommend for counseling today, but that was awesome. He knew exactly what to do. So James 4 and 8, move your heart closer and closer to God, and He will come closer and closer to you. When I lived in my hometown, there was a, if I were to go from my house to where my wife lived, uh, it would be about a five-minute walk. But two and a half minutes into that, I would pass by some, you know, people who were a little shady and liked to have a good fight and a good, you know, whatever. And if I was walking alone, I was a little tense. If my father was with me, I would pass by their house and I would, go, and I would say something mean to them because I wasn't afraid of them. Now, why? Because I had my father with me. Uh, but I paid the price for it after when I had to walk alone, right? But I could. Can I tell you something this morning? The best way to go through your trials, the best way to, you, to go through your circumstances is the Scripture here. It actually says, draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Move your heart closer and closer to God, and He will come even closer to you. Wow. No pain, no gain. Vine in the branches. As I thought about the no pain, no gain, and I'm, I just got one more verse to give you in a moment, I thought of how we make New Year's resolutions. Ever, ever, have you ever done it? I don't usually do it, but I have a couple of times, you know, I'm going to do this when the New Year starts. This is it, I'm going to do this. You know, maybe you're saying, I need to lose weight. So I tell you, what, New Year's resolution, I'm not going to eat any fruitcake. <laughs> I'm not going to eat any sweets. I'm, not gonna, I, I'm going to eat right. But it only lasts till the end of January most. All of a sudden, you're back to the way that you were. No pain, no gain. There's some pain. There is some pain that you will have to go through. And sometimes we treat God like that. We make this resolution. But you know what? The re resolutions that I make with Him, I can't keep myself. But if I draw close to Him, and He draws close to me, I can make them. I close with this verse. It's not one that that's in my sermon, but one that I came across this week that I thought was so powerful. It's got to do with the children of Israel. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 4, and verse 7. And God is speaking to the children of Israel, and we see the character of God here. And this is the one that we can boast about. For what great nation, God said, as a God as near to them as the Lord our God is near to us whenever we call on Him.
I'm sorry, this is Moses. What great nation, Pastor Aaron talked about all the other gods last week. There's none that comes close to who Jesus is. So, uh, what great nation as a God as near to them as the Lord our God is near to us whenever we call on Him. Ever called someone on a cell phone and they don't answer? You call their cell phone, you call them at home, you send them messages. It's so funny with my kids. Uh, oh, Eric is here and you've got to be quiet when you go home. But uh, more Diana maybe than Dawn. But it's so funny when she's around me, every time her phone rings, she answers. She's always answering her phone. But whenever I call her, <laughs> she don't answer. I say, what is this? Because you're a person who always answers your phone. No pain, folks. No gain. Father, we thank you again this morning. We thank you for your faithfulness in this place. We thank you for your presence that we felt here this morning. But not only this morning, but I pray, Father God, that this will not be a place where we abide in the vine and then remove ourselves as we go away. But if we want to be everything that you would call for us to be, if we want to be fruitful this morning, if we want to see fruit on our vine, we must continually abide in the vine. So I pray, Father God, as we leave this place, there are individuals that are watching online. There may be individuals that are here present this morning, and they struggle so much during the week. And Father, they get refreshed when they come here. But I pray, Father God, that they will understand this principle, this metaphor that you shared with your disciples that day, that what they sense here, they can sense every day of the week, that you walk with them and that you talk with them and that you fellowship with them, that you embrace them, that you are there for them. And Lord, that they would determine in their hearts and in their lives, I'm going to make sure that I am attached to the vine. I'm going to examine myself and where I see the wrong. I'm going to let you, God, use your word, the sword of the Spirit, to penetrate. And I know there will be some pain involved, but I'm going to let you penetrate my heart, and Lord, until you remove everything that's in me that's unlike you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of Ottawa Valley Community Church, visit ovcchurch.ca.